This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. question to ask, how can our faith be a catalyst for unique changes that need to take place within our communities, within our societies, and even within our nation as a whole? It's quite a common question that we ask ourselves, you know, how can I use my faith to impact our community? But this week on Voice of Change, right here on Cape Pulpit with myself, Lauren Jacobs, we're going to take this one step further. I'm going to be challenging and encouraging you to think not only about faith as a you know, resource for change within our communities in the way that we are doing our faith. For example, we know that our faith needs to be there to assist widows and orphans, setting up soup kitchens and helping domestic violence victims. We know that our faith needs to be active in how we love people and also how we help them in times when they are struggling. We know that during this time, even of COVID, our faith communities have been such powerful places of opening up their doors to the homeless and of helping people who have lost their jobs. I know many faith communities actually supporting financial you know, realities of people whose lives have been affected by COVID and even beyond retrenchments and all sorts of things. This is such wonderful work that our faith communities are doing. However, there's more and I want to take you into the more today. I want to, you know, ask this question of how can our faith really be more powerful to impact greater change in our communities? Changes of, you know, faith as a real powerful resource in the fight against violence in how we even design our cities or what about faith and urbanization you know there's this reality called urban theology that is really really something we have to consider can our faith be used in how we consider how we build a town or how we settle something or you know i don't know doing things like teaching people how to lament for their pain and also to teach them how to not only lament but then how to seek practical, real, helpful examples. Can our faith also be used geographically and spatially? I believe it can. And my guest on the show today is such a phenomenal human being, Professor Stephanus de Beer from the University of Pretoria. But he heads up the Center for Faith and Community at UP and is such a powerful voice on this very, very reality, on tackling things such as poverty, injustice, you know, urbanization, urban transformation, urban theology. And he always asks the question of how is God speaking in our cities as opposed to how God speaks in the rural areas? And in, you know, the country, God speaks differently in cities. And we have seen cities as places, not where we are actively being out on the mission field, but actually we've started to see our cities just as places where we live, where we have our homes. But maybe if we have a radical shift in how we view city life and urban life, 
and urban transformation, we might see that our faith can be a greater catalyst for change than we ever thought it could be. And so today on Voice of Change, we're going to have a great time. And Professor Stefan is going to be with us. And he's going to be sharing with us a lot of things that we have to consider. So don't go anywhere. He's with me after this. Stefan, I want to say thank you so, so, so much for being here today. I know that we're going to have such a wonderful conversation and I know that you're going to share so much with us. So thank you so much for being on the show and giving us all your time today. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Now, you know, you have this incredible center, the Center for Faith and Community up at UP. And it is so important for us to be talking about the work of the center. I'm really just jumping straight into the conversation because I think when we start discussing the work that you are doing there, it's really going to lead us deeper into, you know, talking about a few faith issues that we're going to talk about today. So what exactly does the center do? What exactly is it all about? Because when we think faith and community that is so very unique so tell us a bit about the center yes thank you so so we've actually existed two centers for a long time and recently we combined two centers into a new center called the center for faith and community which sits in the faculty of theology and religion at, at the university of pretoria and and it's really what it says i mean we debate that should it be faith and community should it be mm-hmm. faith in community it is really about well, doing research, but also building capacity of, pe- of people of faith who are working in communities, often in struggling and vulnerable communities, supporting, supporting those people and those communities towards well-being, towards God Shalom. Mm-hmm. And that's also the vision of the center, to contribute in, in smaller and bigger ways to, towards healthy communities, um, where there's a sense of flourishing and well-being and justice, all the things that, that contribute to well-being. Mm. And that's, those are the questions we keep ourselves busy with also in how far off are faith communities and in how far is faith oppressive or liberating and healing because it can also mm. be oppressive. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of things we keep ourselves busy with. Mm. When you talk about faith being oppressive, that's such a powerful statement as well. I don't think that that is something that we consider too much. And so tell us a little bit more about that, how is it that faith can be oppressive and how have you found that in specifically in communities where you've worked? Sure. That's of course, that can keep one busy for a long time, (laughs) but just maybe, you know, sitting, sitting in the building where I studied many years ago during apartheid times. And uh, I, I was a theology student here. It was during the state of emergency. And I think we, we, touched on the surface on some of the issues that affected South Africans, especially in townships at those, at those, in those times. Mm. But it was also things that went right past us in, 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 in other ways. Our theologies were not really connected to some pressing issues of that time and to burning communities. And so in that sense, for me, even just apathy in the face of struggle, um, I think to me means that we that we might be complicit or that we are complicit in in some forces and so i think for me a liberating faith is a faith that is stands on 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 the side of life that would want to stand where god stands and that would ask difficult questions about where, where does god stand in 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 in, in, in communities, where does God stand in relation to very vulnerable people, mm. in relation to, to people that are often excluded? Um, and how does our faith 
and the faith constructs and the faith communities that we're part of actually stand and accompany people that are struggling towards new places and places of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is what we call to, uh, you know, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I think that should be the question. Is, is, is the faith that we profess practice freeing? Um, and, and that covers a range of issues, you know, from the spaces, uh, from how we design cities to how we consider uh, people of sexual orientations that are uh, across a range of spectrums to to all kinds of things. Mm. You know, yeah, is mm. it is it healing? Is it liberating? Is it inclusive? Uh, does it say something about about the love and the and the grace and the justice of of Christ or or not? Mm. I love what you're sharing this as well. You know, just I think it was yesterday, someone said to me, does the Bible explicitly condemn violence against women? Now, that's a big question. And the, 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 the straightforward answer would be no, because the individual that asked me this question was looking for word for word paragraph saying God says violence against women is bad. Obviously, the Bible doesn't say that because perhaps that wasn't the question that they were asking, you know, in the first New Testament church. Maybe it wasn't what they were asking at that time. So they didn't write to Paul and ask him, you know, what should we do about this? But there were other issues that they were writing about and asking about. We don't seem to have that. I would say that, you know, that grace to be able to write to one of the apostles and go, hey, you know, what should we do about racial injustice? What should we do about gender-based violence? What should we do about rape in our country? That's a big issue. And yet we as people of faith are looking at our faith to have these answers. So the question is, how then do we find the answers to these most pressing issues that we are facing today and specifically i'm going to say south africa because we know there are many issues around the globe but south africa we have pressing issues that we are dealing with today such as gender-based violence for example the the question is then how are we how are we living in our faith to be able to answer those questions is there something that we should be looking at if we can't find it in the bible how do we you know, live out a practical faith that is answering these questions. And I think that that's a big question I know that I'm asking you today, but maybe you could give us some insight into that because it's something that people do struggle with, specifically people who are also outside of the faith, you know, people who are not in the Christian faith. They look sometimes from the outside and they go, well, you're not answering the questions to these issues that we are facing. So how do we do that with our faith? How does our faith answer this? Yeah, or we or we give simple answers that um, that also condemn people and mm. and uh, are not always helpful, and and often we even base it on on what, how we read the Bible. Um, your your questions are difficult because it's all curriculums that sit in, mm. in, in, in in those questions. I mean, the Bible is also a violent book. Mm. Um, you know, we just come out of Easter. The, the violence that Christ experienced on the cross. You know, we speak of Good Friday and increasing now, if that is the term that we should use, because it was a violent Friday, mm. where in a sense Christ took all the violence and violences that people experience upon him. Um, you know, I would come at it the whole time from the John 10 text, uh, where, where Jesus is clear about that, that his purpose of being around and with us is, is, is to share abundance of life. And I think part of what faith communities should do much more critically, and we should do it in conversation with all kinds of people. I think one of the challenges of the church is that we're very introvert. 
and we don't open ourselves to hear the voices of those who are violated, you know, and allow women that have experienced and, and all, all kinds of people who experience violence against them to share their stories to help us also to have new insights and to help mm -hmm. us to hear the spirit through the voices of all kinds of people, even those who might not be of the same faith as ours. Um, because I think in our faith communities, we need to develop more critical tools also with how we engage the Bible, um, to also understand the Bible c comes from certain contexts. Paul himself was a product of his context. Peter, as late as, as, as Acts, uh, what was it, Acts 10, I think, where Peter was confronted with his own kind of prejudice towards certain groups of people. And this was the rock of the church. So we should also not think of, you know, the Bible is full of, of, of characters that were as messy as, as mm. we are. So and I, I think that in itself should be liberating if we can see that. We often grow up with an idea that it's, you know, that it's sacrosanct, it can't be touched, but it's full of crazy characters mm. that by, by the grace of God have, 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 have gone on, on new journeys. I think part of our challenge should be to reflect on what is it in our midst, in our churches, in our communities, in our neighborhoods that deal death, that that actually cause people to be unfree, to be stuck, to to experience death so that they might breathe, but actually daily, daily just waking up, uh, you know, and, and mm. violence does that. All kinds of violence does that. Um, so I don't think you need a, a verse to tell you violence against women is wrong. Hmm. Um, if, it, if it deals death in all kinds of forms, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and, and break relationships and, and so forth, it is deadly. And then as people of faith, we should resist that and stand against that and, and find other ways um, of being with each other as, as human beings. Um, and we won't find it in single verses necessarily, but mm. we find it in threads, we find it in themes. Um, and we also find it in, the, the story of the Bible didn't stop in Revelation. The, the story of God's uh, accompaniment of human history and of his church is carrying on today. Mm. Um, and so we also need to, so the only source should not be the Bible. It should also be the stories of God's people today in different parts of the world and how people understand violence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Wow, that's so powerful. And, you know, I was thinking as well of what we see in Myanmar today, you know, the violence against the people in Myanmar. And like you said, you know, we yeah. need to be looking at God's people today as well, what's happening in, in the world, what's happening to the people. And we looking should be looking at the history of God's people. What happened even 100 years ago? What were they doing? And I think yeah. it's so true what you just said, that we sometimes stop. You know, at Revelation, we go, okay, no, it's done. You know, yeah. it's all done now. And we just close this and we don't look at what happened even yesterday or 100 years ago. And that is so incredibly powerful yeah. to me uh, to, to hear you say that because I think it is just so absolutely important that we hold that at the center of our minds as well. Lauren, just what you raise about what, you know, you speak of what happens currently in Myanmar. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that powerful picture of the Catholic sister um, that that kind of went virtual, that kind of formed a, it just stood against the soldiers as they were threatening civilians. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is the kind of picture I think we should nurture in the church. And I think the question behind that picture for me would be, 
you know, Alan's story in Cape Town always asks this question of, um, you know, he's asking, who's our Jesus? And is our Jesus allowing us to be like that sister? Mm. Do we have that courage um, to be in solidarity with those who are weak and whose lives are at risk because of the power of evil and the evil forces that are unleashed all around the world and in families and in neighborhoods? Or are is our faith actually something we speak and it's in our mind, but it's actually often very timid, very feeble. Mm. Um, and I think we need to also find those kinds of examples. So for me, that that none is a metaphor for, I think, what the church is called into. And the early church was definitely not a timid church. Mm. It was a marginal. And I think that's perhaps part of our challenge today is that the church has become too mainstream. Well, that's the mm. case since Constantine mm. 300. I think we've lost the plot there, and, and, and ever since, I think we haven't necessarily been able to reclaim that first Jesus movement and the radicality of that. Mm. Um, so there's something of that and that courage that comes with faith that I think we lack. And our communities in South Africa, we can speak of the rest of the world, but in South Africa need a courageous faith mm. uh, to overcome any of the odds that people face. And I think people also look for that. But often, you know, in, in a sense, if we think of COVID and lockdown, um, in ways, the church also went undercover, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to say that softly. But we almost waited for permission from government to do our mandate, which is, I think, to serve the poor and to, to set free those who are oppressed. Yeah. Um, and we haven't yeah. always been good with that. And so those who have access to the kind of mediums that we use virtually, continued with church in new formats. Mm. But those without that mm. kind of access are simply left behind all the time. Mm. Um, so it's also mm. asking new questions of how, how should we be church at, at times such as this. Mm. That's mm. so true and it's so important what you just raised as well because we also saw, you know, again I'm harping on gender-based violence for some reason today, but it's in my mind. Yeah. And again, we saw that just the reality of it just exploding during COVID last year, just the cases rising and rising of domestic violence against women and children. And I, at that time, heard a lot of faith leaders saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? And suddenly it was, you know, people were being so marginalized and going through so much. And yet we needed to try and find a response at that time. We needed to try and figure out what was the response going to be. Of course, this pandemic is something that we had never ever anticipated and it did catch us all of guard. But I think that if we are a little bit more prepared within ourselves on a daily basis, having that courage like you just declared it to us, you know, we need to be having some answers for these things on a day-to-day -day basis. We need to have an action plan for how we're going to help victims of whatever they're experiencing so that even when it gets even worse, like we had the pandemic, we know we've already got a plan in place and we just adapt it to suit, you know, what's happening now. Now, I think it's a challenge for faith communities to really take that on and to say, how can I do this? You know, how can we develop these action plans? How can we have a heart for these things so that we can be of use and our faith can be a powerful resource to change communities? And I think that that's so powerful. And, and that's a question that I think we can get to after the song break, you know, faith as a resource mm -hmm. to change communities, because I think that we don't see faith as a resource. It's like you said, sometimes we see our faith as, you know, just something that's maybe personal or individual. But let's get 
to a song. We're going to take you to a quick song break. We don't want you to go anywhere because we're going to continue our conversation after this. And we've got so much more ground that we're going to cover today. So enjoy some music with us. Professor Stia van der Beer joining me from the Center for Faith and Community. And we are having such a great conversation today here on Voice of Change because... You know, a lot of what we have been covering really, really is is so good to hear. It's so challenging and also so inspiring. Now, Stefan, I really wanted to ask you that question. Faith as a resource, a powerful resource, you know, to change our communities specifically. And when we think here in South Africa, how is that possible? How do we do that? Yeah, sure. You know... Uh... We, we confess also that we people of the spirit, but, but, but our faith does not always get unleashed in creative and imaginative ways, mobilized, in, in, mm. you know, to transform neighborhoods. And, and for me, that's a question. Why is that? If we are people of the Pentecost, then our faith should be all of that. And I think back to the, you know, to the early church. You know, there were signs of that in the ways in which they, for example, shared their resources with each other. So faith mm. as a resource, I think, starts with just that. How do we as people of faith and faith communities and faith movements think about our resources, our individual resources and gifts and skills and property, but mm. also that of our, our churches and our buildings and our church land, which we sit on. I mean, I mean, we, you know, and there are some people doing work on that, but to actually do an audit of what is it that the church owns in the context of a country where there's all the debates about land, etc. And how can our, that which we own, uh, for, for example, that's one, I think it is a faith resource. So faith resources for me would be spiritual resources of courage and hope and generosity and kindness and justice and all those things that we can practice as individual people of faith in our workplaces and and in school and wherever we are but but other faith sources is also that which we own collectively as as as, as the body of christ hmm. um, and so for example how do we use that in ways that bring about transformation of neighborhoods how are those say how do we create uh, this in, in a week or two's time in one neighborhood in Swane, they will launch a safe space project where, where they open up churches to just be safe spaces for people who experience mm. violence of any form, whether it's women or men or children or whoever, but safe spaces where they can be held and accompanied through that. How do we open spaces for those? We have wonderful examples during COVID of, of churches and others who opened their doors for, for homeless communities. Mm. And the stories of transformation, not only for the homeless persons in those spaces, but for the churches. What happened to the churches when they opened up and took what they thought was a risk? And then afterwards, they realized maybe the greatest risk was not that the place will be broken down, but the personal change that happened mm. to them as church people and church leaders. And the wonderful things came out of that came out of that. Um, you know, churches are filled with people of resource. So just the professional resources that sit in churches to change health systems, to change educational systems, uh, to change the ways we think environments. So I think we have to think about it in a very holistic way. What do we have as, as faith communities and faith movements and networks among us? Mm. Personally, professionally, um, but also in terms of the stuff we have and the properties we have and how can these resources then in a very strategic way be mapped and offered as resources for change and healing and justice. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and partly that will mean that we should have more intentional ways of also connecting resource-rich and resource-poor churches with each other. Um, you know, there are churches in neighborhoods and in places where the members and the surroundings are just such that, that it's, it's desperate. And yeah. there are also churches that have way too much. And how can this be brought in? Because we want body. Yeah. And, and that kind of redistribution of sources is not a radical new idea that is peddled by left-wing politi politicians. Hmm. That was a mark of the first church in Acts. Hmm. The, the, the ways in which resources were shared amongst God's people. And, and that I think today, if we can f try and discern what does that mean for the contemporary church and contemporary neighborhoods in South Africa, to allow that the radicality of the gospel to break through so that we will share in deep, deep ways, whether it's gender-based violence, whether it's spatial injustices, whether the fact that people don't, don't afford housing hmm. is just not enough affordable housing. And Cape Town is one, yeah. uh, unfortunately, good example of that, hmm. where, 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 where there's so much that needs to be done. I think the church can play a remarkable um, role in, in all of these kinds of issues. But then we have to rethink our theologies, our understanding of faith, our understanding of church, our understanding of Jesus even. Um, because if we put those all in small little boxes, uh, faith might be captive. Yeah. And how do we allow this to release it so that it can do what it needs to do in our neighborhoods? Mm. Wow, I was thinking while you were speaking as well about someone like William Wilberforce, you know, that really came to a crossroad and in his life at one stage and was considering going into, you know, full time theology, becoming a, you know, minister at that stage or, you know, politics and him really being confronted with the reality and his wonderful mentor telling him, you know, it's not one or the other. It's not you being in politics because yeah. you have this heart for abolition of slavery or you doing theology. It's, you know, it's both together. Yeah. It's how we do yeah. our theology. It's what we believe. And obviously God using him so powerfully to bring about that abolition of slavery. And if he had just, you know, disappeared and gone to be like, you know, just preaching the word every Sunday and, and letting go of politics, we would have had yeah. such a great change for so many people in such a negative way. And so I think sometimes, isn't it true that we exactly, like you said, put things in boxes? We go, oh, well, you know, some people are just, they're called to, to that kind of thing. You know, they call to politics. I'm called to, you know, preach a word on a Sunday. So we kind of compartmentalize yeah. it and we say our theology is either you're me standing at the pulpit or you standing there at the politics place, you know. But yet God is asking us to affect all of those things. So haven't we done this injustice in separating all these things and just saying, well, it's either, you know, faith or politics and the nation and communities, but they're not affecting each other. And that's kind of seems like a great injustice that we've actually done and got used to doing. Yeah. See, that's actually interesting because some people say that's actually very heathen. You know, to separate mm. like that. And yet we think it's very Christian. You put politics is there, it's dirty, we don't touch it. Um, whilst, whilst uh, I think Old and New Testament, there's a real sense of wholeness. Uh, mm. God is interested in all of life. Um, we should have theologies and faith that, that touches all of life. I love the Wilberforce example. I think it speaks to me in different ways. On the one hand, that's another source. We have to 
So it's the Bible, but we also have to retrieve those sources from history hmm. that transformed systems and society based on their faith. We must read their stories and understand the journeys that they were on, and it must inspire us. But you're very right, and I think often people of faith are in context, let's say in school systems or in healthcare or whatever, and then we love our faith by preaching more or, you know, we, we pray with people and all those things must also happen. Hmm. But God calls us with our gifts there as well and not just the hmm. spiritual, well, what is the spiritual and what is, but with our gifts. So if I'm there, I'm also called to transform the healthcare system. Hmm. Exactly. And I think sometimes we, we cop out, you know, we, we take shortcuts and we, we cop out. So instead of transforming the healthcare system, because that is why we're there for, we preach more and pray more. And I think that should be integrated. So we must mm. pray for people struggling in the healthcare system and wounded people and individuals. But we must also pray for the transformation of the healthcare system so that everybody can be included in that. And then we should also do the kinds of things that will bring about that kind of change. Mm. And that goes for healthcare, it goes for education, it goes for land and housing, it goes across the board. So we shouldn't use our faith as an excuse. And that is, I think, where people who don't necessarily share our faith gets irritated because yeah. they see through it and there's something phony about it. Whilst if uh, I think if people can see we actually mean business and we're participating in making real change, and by the way, if they ask us why we do it, we can tell them why we do it. I think yeah. there's something of integrity there. Hmm. Wow, this this really speaks to me as well on such a deep level. And you, But to change the subject slightly, earlier on you mentioned the design of cities. And we talk a lot about urban transformation and, and urban theology. Now, some people might not even know what that means today. But, you know, these are kind of new words and new terms maybe people haven't been exposed to. Now, how does, you know, faith impact how we design cities, how we do theology in an urban area? We know, particularly in Africa, that urban growth is happening prolifically and will continue. You know, I was reading stats before we did this interview and how they were saying by 2050 how huge the cities are going to be in Africa because there's this urban growth that's happening. So now we're considering how we are doing theology in the city. You know, how does God speak in the cities to people with, you know, every single way as opposed to how we speak maybe out in, in different areas. How, how does our faith yeah. really impact? You know, what kind of is the role of urban theology? How do we think about faith impacting, you know, like you mentioned earlier on the design of cities, you know, geographic mm -hmm. realities, spatial realities? You know, speak mm -hmm. a bit about that to us because that is super exciting and it's very, very new to a lot of people. Yeah, that's a huge topic, and we don't have time to cover. <laughs> you know, it's huge. Um, I think, firstly, in Africa, it's a challenge because most theologies in Africa and how we practice faith in Africa is still very rural or at best suburban. But we struggle to embrace cities um, as places where God wants to be at work, places that God might love even. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And then secondly, to ask that question of how does our faith impact, how does it contribute, I think we don't often, I mean, I don't know how many sermons you have heard where people actually speak about that and unpack that. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a book that a sociologist wrote, Bleakness and Light, when Hilbrow was at, at the point where it really started to collapse in a sense. And he was showing how at that point was when the churches grew fastest in Hillbrow. Wow. And to me, as a, as a person of faith, as a Christian, that was really an offense. Mm. 
to, to realize that at the time when the church was growing more than ever in Hillbrow, Hillbrow was declining and collapsing. Mm-hmm. And it asked me serious questions about what then is our faith? If it's supposed to be salt and light, should we not really be troubled by such a faith? Mm-hmm. That it's even possible. And so I think we should start to ask those very fundamental questions. And, and then we should go from there um, to, you know, I, I have a conversation with our with our colleagues at, at the Department of Town Planning here at the university to say, in a sense, we, in, in at least in some of our universities, created theologies that kind of um, at least legitimized the apartheid city. So in hmm. a very real sense, uh, we, we wrote a theology that said it was okay. Hmm. We didn't stand against it. And town planners then were the people that did the technical things to make sure it happens. I think we have a challenge today and a responsibility and a vocation to say that we, together with town planners and other urban designers and urbanists, have a restitutive responsibility to restore and a restorative responsibility to say, can we can we develop a new imagination for our cities? And I think that's a big part of what theology can contribute is to imagine cities that will be good for all God's people mm. and for all who are made in God's image and cities that will protect creation, God's creation and the environment. So I think we have a real contribution to make ethically, but also practically and pragmatically to to the ways in which urban neighborhoods are planned and designed and and so forth hmm. from violence to architecture to to healthcare i think we have a role to play and and the role would be to ask ethical questions and questions about how the image of god is destroyed in people and how places that i think god fundamentally loves because god's people live in these places um, are just left and abandoned and disinvested from um but I mean, this is a long conversation, but I think yeah. we should start by, by basically asserting that there must be a way in which faith impacts upon this. Otherwise, we should ask critical questions of the very substance of our faith, I would suggest. Mm. You know, it was so interesting to me when I was listening to some of the eulogies that came through for Prince Philip's death. We know that, you know, okay, he's in the UK and he passed away at 99 years old, which is really such a blessed age. And I was listening to Sky News on the day that he passed, you know, for a few hours, just listening to all these different eulogies that people were giving. And there was one individual, and I couldn't remember his name, but he started this whole environmental organization with Prince Philip and he said that it was Prince Philip that was the very first person back in the early 80s that said we have to get faith leaders involved in the conversation about conservation and the environment climate change and we have to get them involved and we have to get them mobilized and they we just need to help them and they need to do the work and this individual right. was saying there was such a radical perspective to have 30 years ago, yeah. but he recognized the power. I mean, the, the, the consort to the queen of the kingdom recognized the power of the faith leaders around the world. This man was explaining and said that he said that in order to change things, we have to get our faith leaders involved. And they did. And so faith leaders got involved in conservation and it became this incredible, huge moving organization. And you know what? It was so incredibly beautiful for me to hear that because here we have truth spoken that 
we can recognize, people recognize that faith leaders, and he was speaking across the board, not only Christian leaders, have yeah. such a powerful, powerful influence and role to play in effecting change. But yet we often sit and we don't see that of ourselves, that ability to affect change, and yet other people can see that. And in closing, isn't that a little bit of a challenge for us today to, to kind of look at ourselves and say, you know what, we do have this power and we do need to take this on to become real change agents in many different areas? I think you, you're very right. I mean, there are there are examples of cities across Africa where, where city planners say we need the church, we need religion. It's such a powerful force. But then those of us who are in those spaces don't come to the table. I think mm. we need to be challenged by that um, and, and reclaim our spaces in a South African context. I think we've outsourced so much. Um, you know, we've outsourced everything to politicians. We've outsourced it to the private sector. And the kind of roles that we should be playing uh, for checks and balances, but also because we are supposed to represent a different imagination of how the world, world should work. Mm. Um, and we've outsourced it. And I think we have to do a lot of work to reclaim it. And the only way I think to do that is also to be in conversation with each other, that we should also... Um, you know, it's not just that we put church and politics over against each other, but the Reformed and the Catholics and the Pentecostals, I don't know what we're speaking. We need to do some fundamental things differently. Mm. We need to discover the gift uh, of each other and also the correctives that we help each other with. Uh, and we need to create those spaces where we can learn from each other and be set free so that we can do what Luke 4 is about, so that we can participate in that anointing preach the good news to the poor, but not just preach in a verbal sense, to be the good news mm. to and with the poor so that we and those who are excluded can 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 be free and, and be can be whole. Mm. Oh wow that's so so powerful and I want to leave that with the listeners as well today. Stefan, I want to say thank you so much for being with us because this has been such a powerful conversation that I myself personally have learned so much from and I want to say thank you so much for being here with me today on the show and I truly do believe that a lot of people listening are going to be impacted and, and influenced by this conversation today so thank you so much and all the best for this incredible work that you're doing at the Center for Faith and Community and beyond that as well so thank you may God just richly bless you in those areas. Thank you so much, Lauren, for having me. God bless you. God bless. There's so many perspectives that have been offered on the show today that is absolutely so incredible to me to consider. You know, many goosebump moments for me on Voice of Change today, which is incredible because that's what Voice of Change is about. It's about really considering how we can not only, you know, be the change, but make the change in our world. And when we consider faith as a greater reality than what we've ever considered it to be, I believe that we will be excited and empowered to use our faith practically in the earth, in the world, in our communities and societies. Faith as being such a powerful resource for change. I also love what Stefan said when he spoke about the fact that we have become very mainstream in our beliefs and also mainstream in a tamed church. And you know, just recently while I was reading the Word of God, I was reflecting on how undomesticated and untamed God really is. It's as though we've really taken the Godness of God out of who He really is. You know, He's also the warrior. He's also powerful. He's also referred to as Yahweh the sword. He's referred to in all these powerful 
crazy, beautiful, wild, untamed realities that we find throughout the scripture. And if we consider that our God is so big and so incredible, this magnificent one that reigns over the entire universe, holding absolutely everything in his hand, then we ourselves should be brave people who are untamed in how we do our faith. A a faith that is filled with God's Godness and with this power that the very first disciples displayed. A power that is both, you know, filled with love and grace and filled with authority. And I believe that, you know, we can make big changes. We should not be influenced by the culture of the day or the liberalism of the day. We need to truly be impacted by what the Word of God says about the faith that we should have. We need to be cultivating a biblical faith, a faith that is established on the very first principles that have always been handed to us from the Word of God. And also, I want to encourage you today with a final, final thought. You know, we need to be studying and looking at the lives of the people who went before us, the believers who went before us. And you know what? Those believers could have even been someone that passed away last year. When I say believers that went before us, I don't mean, you know, even just 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Yes, them too. But every single believer, maybe your grandmother was an incredible woman of faith. You need to be looking at her life and saying, you know, what did she do in her life that really can impact mine, that can give me a greater faith? And so let's, you know, reflect on the lives of those who have gone before us and use our faith as a huge, powerful resource to change our communities, not only through being tamed and, you know, the normal things that we think we should do, but let's expand our thinking to be bigger and wider and greater because God is calling us to that. It's been so good to be with you on Voice of Change today, and I can't wait to be with you next week. But until then, shalom, shalom. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 729 AM. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za.